to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal with Conan Neutron and Josh Davis. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rock about music, rock and roll, and cover power. The thing is, though... If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with sharp and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's Indeed, indeed, indeed. It's a science thing. It's a science place. It's a scientific fact. We are in your face. It is time for the one, the only protonic reversal. And welcome to it. I am your host, Kona Neutron. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Today, of course, we have the mighty Bill Barbeau of Jawbox. Great conversation. Uh, about the recent uh, Jawbox tours, uh, back with they're back with a vengeance. Actually, wait, that sounds like a like an eighties action movie. Maybe they're not back with a vengeance. They're back with intent and purpose, and it's a it's a good time. It's a good show. Uh, it's it was a pleasure to talk to Bill, and hope you enjoy it. Recently, it's come to my attention that some people are upset upset or or notable upset or they note that this podcast does not follow the what has now been the established rule of basically being a delivery system for the guest with a strict question and answer format and no crosstalk ever for any reason and you know I've thought a lot about that and I thought about the fact that you know I've always liked Using this show, which of course is a live show first, then on podcast, as ability to uh, use this platform to spread new music and new versions of music to people that otherwise wouldn't hear it, and how that was always part of the mission. But you know, missions change. So I've thought a lot about it. Thought about should I change? Does this show need to change? Should Protonic Reversal change? And what I've decided is, nah, not really. <laughs> so, so here's Shawbox Jr. with Bill and Jay. Uh, this is an acoustic, semi-acoustic set that they did at Reckless Records. Desert Sea. Then we'll talk to Bill. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll play some music afterwards, and if you don't like it, whatever. There's plenty of other shows out there. <laughs> Stop! 
desert sea Next paradise keeps sinks down there for me Like bones from the desert sea Throne for divination ceremonies Mr. Bill Barbeau. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well, thanks. It's uh, so great uh, to talk to you. I, I recently saw the fantastic Jawbox reunion show at the Metro, and now you're uh, just doing the abrupt gear shift back into regular life, right? <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's shocking. Those shows, if, if the rest of the shows were even half as good as the show I saw, they were, they were, it was pretty blockbuster. Uh, it kind of seems like you had a combination of the old guard resolute coming out and, and checking out and then there was just a bunch of people that probably like myself and never got to see that band play ever it seemed seemed really kind of cool and empowering in a way well you had the good fortune of seeing us towards the end of the tour so um <laughs> i mean let's 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 be clear about this it was about a 17 show tour so this is not like you know Jawbox does north america and we're playing in a you know vfw hall in green bay um, <laughs> seven people in a dog yeah <laughs> yeah um so so we didn't we didn't have a lot of like working out the king shows we were we were pretty much on the big stage from the from day one you know we started in boston and um and the the their big full rooms which is great um you know that everybody continues to care after having not been on the road for 23 24 25 years i can't even remember how long it's been um but it was really you're right it was very inspiring for us to see um not just the 45 plus balding semi-obese <laughs> middle-aged yeah. white guys um which we were anticipating but 
um, there was a, a lot more diversity in the audience than than I it expected. Was. Anyway, yeah, I won't, I won't speak for the whole band, but I was seeing a lot more women. I was seeing a lot more people of color. I was seeing a lot of young people, which was really refreshing. Um, having having uh, there was a 19 year old kid who came up. I, I wish I could remember what show it was. He came up to me to let me know that he. Oh, it was in Philadelphia. He had dro- driven from Pittsburgh. He was 21. He brought his 20-year-old girlfriend with him. They drove whatever, however long it is from Pittsburgh to Philly to see us. And he told me the story. He's like, my dad, I grew up on these records. My dad introduced me to Jawbox when I was like oh, nine wow. years old. Wow. And, and I've, been, you know, I've been a total fan of your guys forever, but clearly he was, he was too young to have ever experienced us because he wasn't even born the last time we played a live show. Uh, and he said, you know, it was, it was so worth it for us to come all the way out here. And so that's interesting, too, because for a lot of bands of the era that Jawbox was, it does make sense that enough time has passed that, you know, there are potentially, you know, children, not just potentially, there are children of those fans. And of course, they're, you know, some of them are going to get turned on to the music and, and kind of discovered anew. And and for them to be able to experience it live, it's actually, that's that's really fantastic. And, and I agree with your assessment. Like, when I saw the crowd, I was like, wow, this is this is not exactly just the hey it's a convention of people that are in bands or were in bands <laughs> right necessarily right. Expect- i mean it was but it was more than that too yes it was a convention plus it was a convention plus exactly it was a yeah. it was convention plus guests <laughs> yeah and so how how quick did things like snap back as far as playing those songs because obviously you play the hell out of those songs during the 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 band's first run like it, it's hard i i think a lot of people don't realize how hard some bands that were around in the '90s kind of hit it, like that you know toured and, and just played like constantly. And but then that have to have that huge of a gap in between to come back to that material. Does it just like it, does it just pop back in immediately? Does it feel like you're you know playing with you know cooking mitts on or something like what? <laughs> <laughs> well, there was no, there was definitely no popping back in immediately. Um, we had we had a couple of things going for us. Um, one was we decided to do this tour long before we actually had to hit the road. So there was nothing spontaneous about this. It wasn't right. like, you know, Feb- February rolled around and we're like, Hey, let's go play some shows, you know, like, like Archie and the gang. Right. It was like, <laughs> let's get in the jalopy and we'll go you know, play right. the play pop Steiner. Um, it was, it was very premeditated. Um, it, it was a combination of Zach, really our drummer really pressing, to say like, hey, you know what? I, I I've been in contact with his booking agent, Mahmoud at concerted um, concerted efforts, who uh, used to book his band Bells. Zach had a band called oh, Bells. Bells. After yeah, 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 yeah. I like Bells. And Mahmoud booked Bells, and so he he and Zach were friends, and um, and Zach kind of put the feelers out to Mahmoud. He's like, hey, is Mahmoud? Is there any appetite for for Jawbox to do reunion shows kind of independently of having spoken with Kim Jay and myself mm, okay. and Mahmood said, you know, I'll, I'll check around. I, he obviously has a booking agent, knows a lot of promoters and, um, very under the radar because we didn't want to really tip our hand that this was happening before Zach even knew if the rest of the band was on board. Right. Um, and, and I might be botching the chronology of this, but, um, long story short, we knew we were doing this a long time before we actually had to do it because we had to see if there was a there there to even bother putting the right. band back together. Right. Because we, we didn't want to go we didn't want to go to all this effort. Because the reason we stopped playing continuously in the first place 
and never did a reunion. Like even after we got together to do the Tonight Show or the Late Show with Jimmy Fallon or whatever it was called at the time, um, a decade ago, it was just like, oh, we could slap together four songs. Sure, we could pull that off. But we never decided to then continue after that. Um, because we all have like very complicated lives. You know, Zach, Zach lives in Brooklyn. Jay lives in Baltimore, runs a recording studio, um, has a kid with a disability. Um, Kim and I both live in the Maryland suburbs of DC. We've split up. We have a kid together. I have a new family. I have a business. She's a, a teacher and an educator. So she's involved in, in schools and can't take time off, blah, blah, blah. Like we have a million reasons why we couldn't reunite in 2009 after we did the Fallon show. So we had all this like baggage hanging around about reasons why we couldn't do it. Um, but Zach was just like, you know what, if, if we're ever going to do this and because I've already spoken with Mahmoud about it, I know that there's a, a, an appetite out there for a fans to, to actually see this, sure. at least a projected appetite based upon what the promoters were telling Mahmoud. Um, you know, it's now or never, like we just need to kind of decide that we're going to do it and do it or not. So this is a very long windup to say that we had to do a lot of research ahead of time to see if we could even pull it off. And that gave us this, the luxury of having a year, basically, between when we first started rehearsing and when we played the first show to get our act back together. So that was luxury number one, the luxury of time. Luxury number two that we had was the fact that as a touring band, we did play a lot. Uh, there were a lot of bands... DC bands in particular were notorious for not staying around for very long. Like typically by the time the DC band, a DC band's record came out, they had already broken up. <laughs> um, it was, it was kind of a, yeah, it was kind of a, a running joke about discord bands was like, Oh yeah, you know, I really love that race of spring record. Oh, look, they already broke up and now they're in another band. Great. Um, so, so we, because we, we did stick around a while, we're able to play a lot of shows over our career. Um, you know, we put out we put out four albums. We toured. We played upwards of 650 shows. I think Kim Kim actually documented all of them, and, and we did a a kind of a retrospective companion a few years ago called um, My Scrapbook of Fatal Accidents, which lists every show that we played. So we had a pretty accurate count of every show that we ever played, and it was 600 plus shows. And that's a lot of practice to have built into your hands and your brains, you know for how to perform this stuff. So, so that aspect of getting back on the bicycle really worked to our benefit because it wasn't like we were learning how to be a live band for the first time. It's like, we knew how to be a live band and we knew how to put on a show. It was a question of knocking the rust off of the tunes for one and physically making sure that we were going to be capable of pulling it off as 50 year olds, um, in ways that we, it, it was a lot easier to do when we were 25, you know? Uh, sure, absolutely. No, that, that that completely makes sense, and it's interesting too that you know you mentioned that with the whole thing of um, you know you know it's like they say like uh, the first battles fought in the mind, right? <laughs> so you right. got, you got yeah, it. Totally. So you got a good amount of time to sort of get psyched up, be like, okay, so we're doing this, right? <laughs> and that's and that's something that it seems like that would like allow you to, to 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 take more time to focus on the actual plane when you get to the point of of playing. Yeah, we did, and and there and there's sacrifice involved. There's sacrifice involved for everybody when it comes to getting a band back together after they haven't been together for a while. Um, sometimes it's a sacrifice of ego, you know, like oh, I moved on from this band, I don't want to reunite. Other times it's like I have to sacrifice. I, I my personally. Sac my sacrifice was 
I needed to spend time away from my family, for one. Right, so certain degree of sacrifice, and then also you have preparation involved as well. You know, not only was it a matter of, of getting getting yourself in shape, but there's all the stuff you're playing on. <laughs> you know, again, your, your amp guy was saying, <laughs> you know, giving you the advice of, Wait, you're doing what with this amp? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Flame, flames are going to shoot out of my amplifiers. My guitars, literally, the rust had to be stripped off of my some of my guitars because um, they've been sitting in the basement. And it's like you know, I've had I've started a business. I have another band, but I I don't play all my guitars in that other band. I have kids. Like the stuff, the stuff that just like life starts moving in a certain direction. Right. And then you're just like, oh wait a minute, I've got all this stuff that I need to get in shape in order to even be able to play these songs. <laughs> right, just to, let just alone, to competently play them in a room, let alone yeah, to exactly. a crowd like, of to, sh- to show up at rehearsal, <laughs> I needed to like do um, and make a major investment in, in getting my gear back in shape. So, Yeah, so as far as, and again, you, know, you, met, you mentioned the, just the logistics of doing it, you know, it's not the same that when you were twenty. It's like it's almost like the the, the always sunny in Philadelphia like conspiracy board for all the stuff just to to get everybody in the same room. You have people in different cities, people with different you know, yeah, human beings like lives that depend <laughs> upon you every day. Uh, yep. It, it, so obviously, it, you all are very different people now, and you're and you're have the different responsibilities and stuff. But for me. I feel like there was a vitality to the set that I saw that kind of can only come from having a little bit of time away, if that makes sense. And no, it it totally makes sense. That that was something that I think we all acknowledged, especially as we got towards the latter shows of the tour. We were just like, we're sounding better now than we ever did before. Right. Um, and I, and I think that part of that was. I don't know. I think that there's a certain, I'm I'm just shooting from the hip here, but I think I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for the whole band. When I was in my twenties, there was a certain, um, limitlessness to what one could do with a band. And that involved like throwing myself headlong into, into performing. It involved, wondering where we would go next and would people care and will we sell more records and will we be able to do this again next year and like there's so much uncertainty out there and and when you're in your 20s particularly if you're trying to be a quote-unquote professional musician you're like i gotta do this right because i gotta make rent you know if we want to go on the road your livelihood we need to have money right (laughs) this depends upon it fix the van you know just yeah. like really block and tackle logistical life stuff and is is entirely dependent upon your being quote-unquote successful doing what you're doing and success has a different limit for everybody like some people want to sell a million records and that's success other people are just like i don't care i just want you know like 10 people to show up and i'll pass the hat and that's cool like whatever whatever your definition of success is in your 20s you're just like i need that thing and so there's a desperation to it that almost makes you think like the music is 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 an important part of this, but the music isn't everything. Like I gotta I gotta play my cards right, and we gotta like sign to the right label and <laughs> right. do the right interviews <laughs> and shoot a cool video and like 
let's rewrite this course to make it more hooky or whatever. You know, like all this yeah, kind of yeah. stuff clouds, clouds your judgment about what you're doing. All the ancillary sort of uh, things that are yeah. associated with right. it, but <laughs> aren't that yeah, necessarily anything to do with the music. It's this very amorphous, nebulous cloud of, of complicating factors that, that makes a mu- the music of being a musician an important part of it, but not the whole thing. And I think for us, coming at it from our 50s, we were just like, you know what? We are going to trust that our that our booking agent is going to put us in the right room and deal with the promoters and we won't have to worry about it we brought we brought a tour manager with us we never had a tour manager an external tour manager in the past like we, we always many we, external we did all that wrangle. stuff ourselves yeah. so it's like, right, like more we logistics. Were, yeah like in in the 90s we were managing all that stuff ourselves. We it, it was a mark of pride. It was we chose to do it that way because mm-hmm. that was how we wanted to do it. But like settling up the shows and dealing with the merch stuff and dealing with logistics and dealing with the broken down van and dealing with the fact that oh my god somebody dropped my Ebo and it broke and now I need to get another one. <laughs> like all that kind of stuff was, was yeah. And on good luck us. getting get an Ebo on a Tuesday in Wichita. <laughs> yeah. Right. So all that stuff was on us, and so that served as kind of like. While, while again, like the DIYness was a very much a mark of pride for how we how we branded ourselves and how we thought about ourselves and how we built our own identity, it also was one more thing. Like your brain is only can only handle so much, and when you're when part a portion of your brain is devoted to, uh, I need to make sure that I'm advancing the show before we get there. Instead of thinking like I'm going to play the hell out of these songs tonight, those brain cells get devoted the energy gets devoted in other directions. And because we chose to do this tour by having support, by having a tour manager, by bringing uh, Matt, our our tech was on the road with us. And so he was dealing with changing my guitar strings, God bless him. And I used to really love changing my guitar strings, but you know what, before the show, instead of changing my guitar strings, I was resting and I was focusing and I was relaxing. And so that just like put me in a position to be able when the time came to put on a good show. Yeah. Amazing. (laughs) Which was like, what a concept. Yeah. What, like what a, what a revolutionary concept, right? Like millions and millions of musicians have figured this out before me. But for me, it was like, (laughs) it was a very different way of doing things. Yeah. Um, And that enabled us, I think all of us to apply more energy and focus to the music and the performance than it did 25 years ago. And, and you're also doing it with, you know, the, 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 the wisdom and time that comes from, you know, being, being able to look at it as a body of work and, you know, maybe even hear it as music rather than just, Oh, this is like a series of things. I do this thing here. And then this other thing happens. Well, I think that that's, that's an important point. Um, we, we did take some editorial liberties with our material on this tour um, sometimes to the fans' chagrin, I'm sure, and other times, like I thought, we just made the songs better. Um, but some of it was purely practical. Like we, we just we 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 wrote all these songs and performed all these songs pre YouTube era. So I couldn't <laughs> right, go back right. to a YouTube video of what I was playing uh-huh. in 1994. So we had to try to dissect what we played on the record. Jay at one point literally pulled some of the of the. Um, of the multi-tracks and dumped our guitars so that I could hear what <laughs> so I was you could doing. You could hear what you're doing. Hear yeah. what he was doing. Well, cause some of it's kind of confusing we because it's sort of like exactly, dis- yeah, dis- we, discordant elements. There's kind of like weird, like over notes and stuff where it's like, what, what, what is that? <laughs> yeah. Compositionally, we, Jay and I actively tried to create, um, some, a certain degree of control chaos between what we were doing on 
each other's guitars. And so like there were some rehearsals where I would show up saying, I think this is what I played. And he's just like, no, dude, you're playing my part. And I'm playing some weird hybrid of my part or your part. And so we would end up stepping on one another's toes or leaving some interesting parts in the gap. So, so getting, getting the music back to that part, um, where we actually knew what we were doing was one aspect of it. The other aspect was saying like, you know what? I, I really played this inefficiently before. Because, like, as a 25-year-old, I was like, I need to play what I played on the record, which was this crazy, you know, nine-fret stretch. And I was like, I can't play a nine-fret stretch. I never could back then, but I tried to fake it because <laughs> I thought the audience cared. You know, I thought right. the audience cared to make sure that I got that freaking high E on the 22nd fret. There might and, be someone from Guitar Player Magazine here. He's going he's gonna yeah, to be really exactly. bummed out. <laughs> exactly. And that's, and that's part of the ego that comes with being a 20-year-old. It's like, you know, like, I want to be whatever i want to be steve vi or, or whoever eddie van halen you know like i'm the eddie van halen punk rock but audiences don't care particularly in the clubs that we were playing back then they didn't yeah, give a crap because they were just that. like we can't hear you we can't hear you through the p anyway what we <laughs> pa anyway what we want is we want all of sound and we want yeah. somebody playing with conviction and so i and so i think that part of part of the wisdom that came with age was we recognized that the audience is there to see us play like we care yeah to yeah. see us play like we mean it to see us not going through the motions and even though at first i thought they were i thought i thought it was going to be about well i'm not going to jump around a lot because i want to make sure i play these songs really well and i want to sing better than i ever used to but you know what they do want to see me jump around because that's how i play that's what i do yeah they like don't, I, exactly yeah I, I throw my body into the music and that's the only way i know how to play the guitar and it makes me a crappy guitar player and that's fine because people are not showing up to see me do John Mayer, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. And, and it's right. Like John Mayer does John Mayer. He can go knock himself out playing Hendrix solos all day long. I don't know how to play a guitar solo to save my life, but people seem to like what I do mostly because I stand up there and I play like I mean it. And so like that, that, that perspective is something that does come with age. It's like we need to get up there and show people that we're having a good time, that we're there to put on a real show and not just the, the job box mania revival tour you know um and so i think that that all of us came to that realization fairly early in the process like we need to be enjoying ourselves doing this we need to be throwing our, ourselves into the performance the way that we used to and not obsessing over you know trying to play like quote-unquote grown-ups one well, and, and i i felt that was very apparent and there was almost like a a palpable sense of joy to the whole thing that I don't want to say that it was surprising, but it was it was definitely welcome. Where it's like, oh wow, this is they they're clearly all very much on point and wanting to be here, and this is like a very cool special moment that kind of hit in a couple ways that I didn't really expect to. And and I I actually talked to a few other people that felt the same way about it, and it was something where I think, and maybe that was just as you said, you had this whole lead up period to even think about what this would be beforehand so it wasn't just like tossing yourself into it oh hey we're we're playing the thing next sunday i guess we're gonna do that <laughs> well some of, some of it was a conscious decision and a lot of it was just um kind of like a, a group intuition right you know i think i think that there's just because we again because we played so many shows together and we knew each other musically so well that when we came together to actually start performing, we just we kind of fell back into a a musical communication that was not an intellectual conversation. Like, let's hey, when you play that little lick, I'm gonna look over at you and smile. You know, like yeah, nothing. Yeah. No, it wasn't staged in that way. Um, 
but it was an acknowledgement like I'm a better listener now than I ever was mm. 25 years ago. Okay. And so I'm I'm able not just when we're rehearsing these songs but when we're actually performing them to be listening for a lot of the subtleties that we did do in the studio but we just kind of bulldozed our way through and we played live cuz just like Buck rock, bah, you know. Right, um, right. but 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 now there's there are subtle things that Zach will play or Kim will play or Jay will play or some vocal things that we're going to do that I'm just like, oh, I'm really looking forward to this part. And when this happens, I'm going to feel it because I like it, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to explain. And you're, you, well, to a certain degree, not that you're taking extra time, but you're taking the time to like it and you're taking the time to listen. Uh, yeah. In a way that maybe you wouldn't if you were just largely propulsive force only. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's kind of it's kind of hard to describe the shift in perspective from I I as a twenty year old I need to be I need to sell my pe- sell people on this right right to to where we are now which is like everybody's already bought it they don't need to be sold anything right now yeah and, and they need to feel like they're participating in 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 a, an expression of it I feel like you guys carried yourself with a very sort of quiet authority about the whole thing that it, it definitely it had an intimate feeling even though you know this is like a sold out show at the metro definitely wasn't you know wasn't intimate by my my standards maybe by the rolling stone standards but uh but it had a very intimate feel because of that like it just it felt very welcoming but also like it was very clear that it's like oh it's business time too like okay right on that's awesome it, it was it's a very ineffable sort of thing well and another thing that occurred to me is i thought that the this the stuff you guys decided to play was about perfect i'd say as far as mix of things from different eras you know maybe bringing bringing a couple songs that people wouldn't necessarily expected to hear back uh you know all the all the ones i really wanted to hear i I really didn't couldn't think of anything that i really wanted to hear that that you guys didn't play and oh great and it kind of almost seemed like you were running the set sort of like a mixtape or something uh, in a good way. And I can't imagine that it was super easy to put up with that. But, I mean, was it something where you just knew, like, okay, we're definitely going to play this one. We're definitely going to play that one. going to go into this one. Or is it, were you just looking at it purely from a let's just treat all this differently than we did when we were playing the first time as far as what gets played and what doesn't? Well, a couple factors influenced that. One, um, we knew that we wanted it to be more of a retrospective than just a pretending like we were touring on our last record. An impartial overview, um, I believe, is it was the name of the whole thing, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so that's you know that's a crib from a lyric on um, uh, the one, on yeah, Chinese Forte, right? Um, but, but Zach, 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 Zach said, I really want to call this tour an impartial overview. And I said, all right, if it's going to be an impartial overview, then let's agree to be impartial about it. I was like, kind of call this bluff. Um, because like, I don't, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school here, but sure. But Zach, we, we did, um, our first two records were with Adam Wade playing drums. Um, our first record was with not even me. I, I toured on our first right. record. But I joined the band right after the first the record, record came out, right, but I did right. not perform on yep. the first record. Um, so I started in the band in in the tail end of 1990, um, playing somebody else's songs. Really, like for from my perspective, I was I was a cover artist. You know, I was like I was I was trying to cover Jay's electric guitar parts so that he could play some new melodies and stuff off the very first record because he could never do that live before with just one guitar. Um, so I was kind of used to the idea of like, 
oh yeah, I'm here to play the old songbook even though I didn't write this song or, or record it. Then we were a four-piece for Novelty, our second record, and then um, Adam left the band after that and was replaced by Zach. So Zach, when he first joined the band, our songbook was entirely Grip and Novelty, the first two records. Um, but I think that he really quickly, because he brought a very different approach towards the kit than, than Adam, our first drummer, did, like his, his playing style is just very, very different. So different, yeah. Um, he he wanted to move as quickly as possible into the songs that the four of us were composing together and try to start excising the older material from the set because he just didn't feel as comfortable trying to play Adam style as I felt playing Jay style. Like I was cool with, I was cool with playing Jay style because I think Jay's a great guitarist and I, I aspire to be like Jay. But Adam and Zach almost couldn't be more different as drummers. And Zach was totally, like, yeah. I, I like Adam as a drummer, but I don't want to play like Adam. So so we we always struggled in the 90s to go back to the old songbook, to the first two records, because Zach was just like, oh, just, I'm faking it. I'm faking it playing Cutoff. I'm faking it playing Grip off the first record. I'm faking it playing Freezer Burn. So those old songs kind of just began to fall by the, fall by the wayside. And we, by the time we were done touring, we played pretty exclusively songs from For Your Own Special Sweetheart and the self-titled record, which were our last two records with Zach. Um, so so I, he said, let's call this an impartial overview. And I was like, okay, you know what that means. We're going to play some songs from Grip and Novelty. And he was like, rah, 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 rah. okay. Um, so minor, minor amount of arm twisting. So we knew that we wanted to introduce some songs from the old records of the first two records but it was a question of a couple of things first we wanted to make sure that we felt like we could play them with conviction and we weren't just like playing playing the hits because i'm, I'm using air quotes you can't see right now <laughs> playing the hits works really like well over the audio format but yeah yes. right <laughs> um but playing playing what our fans imagined to be the hits off of the first record like bullet park right, everybody right, loved right. bullet park when it first came out but jay always felt like that was a very derivative song he didn't like it when he wrote it, I think, but but it turned into be a very turned out to be a very po popular song. But he was like, I never want to play that song again. And so conversations around almost every song on all the records happened. Like, I never want to play that again because I, it feels derivative. I never want to play that again because it feels like uh, we're a totally different band from what we were writing that song. I never want to play that one again because the lyrics are cheesy. Like, pick your reason why. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we, so you know, like pretty quickly, we we got to a place where we're weeding out a lot of things that we just weren't even worth a conversation. But there were a lot of stuff that was a lot of songs that were still on the table, and so then it came down to okay, can we play this with conviction? Do we have any asterisks around playing this song? And then third was like is there something we can do to this song to make it feel more like the band we are now? So take the song grip off of our first album. Mm -hmm. I never really wrote a guitar part for that song. Even when we were touring on that record, I was basically just doubling Jay's guitar or playing basic rhythm, you know, just playing the changes. Um, and so I got, I was like, if we're going to play grip, I want to write a real part for it. So I completely changed the guitar part that I wrote for it. And in so doing, like the dynamic of the song really changed, and we were all so much happier with it after we had like got gotten our mitts on it and molded it into something that felt much more authentic to who we are now. So, so that aspect came into play where we were like taking some of the older songs and trying to trying to do something a little bit different to them to make them feel more legit, static uh, off of yeah. novelty. 
is 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 one of our quote unquote hits and jay always struggled with that song it's a very personal song for him he wrote it about his sister yep and he never felt like he got that song right and we have changed it like we did the original version of static versus the version that ended up on novelty versus i think a version that we did on appeal session like it just kept changing constantly because right. jay never was settled with multiple it multiple versions yeah and so he recorded that again as a solo artist pretty recently. I, I was just going to say when he was on this show, that single had like just come out, and we, yeah. we actually talked in depth about that and the fact that when you guys originally recorded, he just didn't feel comfortable digging right. as deep as he wanted to, and he, he always kind of regretted that on it. Yeah, and so he and he felt like that version, that final version that he did as as Jay Robbins, was a version that he wanted us to play. And so we all just had to had to go. We didn't have to go. We could have argued with him about it. But, you know, it's like that's a very personal song for him. And so I was just like, yeah, I want you to feel this one. If we're going to play Static, I don't want to just, like, go back and paint by numbers to the way that we did it on the record. Right. Let's go with a version that you, Jay, are going to feel good about performing. Well, And I feel and like we'll, it, we'll the, work our way through it that way. It, in those cases, too, like, I don't think that it's starting rough, but I feel like that the – you know, there's not going to be anybody sitting there with a clipboard being like, oh, that line was different. We're deducting five points. You know, I <laughs> you'd mean, be it, su- you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, to hell with those people is what I say. And it's funny. And the other song you mentioned, it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that because I remember when you guys played that. I was like, I was like, oh, something's different here, but I like it. Like, it's cool. And it's something where because th- this is this is going to be a hilarious statement, but I only have that record on cassette. So I, awesome. don't, so I don't listen to it very often, and so like I didn't have anything to compare and contrast it to necessarily. But I was like, right, oh right. no, this is they're they're kind of putting like their own, and I couldn't tell what it was that was different. But I'm like, oh no, there's something like they're kind of making it more what it would be if it was a live song in like the latter period of Jawbox, and I'm totally for it. I'm here for it. Yeah, it was. I think it, it the, where Jay went with Static was a logical extension of where we started to compose in the latter era of Jawbox. And that's why I think it felt good for us to go and take that version that he did with, yeah. with Brooks and Pete and Gordon um, and, and just adapt it to the four of us playing it. Well, and so, and there was something, and I, I vastly favor the, 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 of the, the you know I, I celebrate the entire catalog, but I think the self-titled record is is really the the last one is 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 my favorite. In fact, when I had Jay on the first time of the two times, I got some listener complaints that we talked too much about that record <laughs> and, and not enough about, about the rest of them. But I find it fascinating because it's sort of like the recording on that is is I don't want to say unorthodox, but it's definitely it sounds a little different, even of stuff of its time. Uh, but I feel like it, it displayed, especially some of the interplay between the instruments, like really, really well, like what you guys did. Like, uh, you know, you mentioned the Ebo earlier. There's the, the I can't remember the name, but there's the one where you're cranking the Ebo live. And I, it, it kind of blew me away. It was like, oh, he's playing an Ebo live because, again, I'd never seen you. Uh, well, and so that that was an iodine. Yeah, and, iodine. there we go. Thank you. Sorry. And and I never played an Ebo on iodine when we played that song live and in fact 
I don't even remember whether I played that melody or Jay played that melody when we used to play it live. So, like, these are the things that are kind of lost, right? Lost to history. I'm sure there's somebody's got a crappy VHS recording somewhere of us performing that song live, where I'm just like, oh, Jay played it and he played it, you know, he picked it or or whatever. He just fretted it or or did feedback or whatever. But turns out Robert back to that showed song, up and he's in he's in yeah. the back he's in the back doing it. But but I. But, you know, in listening back to the songs, I was just like, you know, I love I love playing and playing an Evo is fun. I don't know if you ever played. No, I, Evo, I, but I'm a huge fan. It's just like it's, it's a it's a it's a fun little toy to play with. And I was like, you know what? I just I want I really want to do this part. And so we showed up rehearsal. And I was like, I'm going to play freaking night on an Evo. And the first several times we did it, it was a train wreck because Evo is a very subtle little tool. Very for, precise. I, I don't know. I don't yes. know how I don't know how nerdily musical your listeners are, but basically, it's a device that simulates like a synthesizer by electronically vibrating your string. Instead of picking your string, it electronically vibrates your string, and you have to hold it very precisely over one string and not push it down too far and like all this other kind of trickery that has to go on and live like when you're sweaty and you're amped up it's like holding it in just such a position is pretty tricky so the first time the first few times that we p- rehearsed that everybody in the band or kim especially was just like that sounds terrible it's not gonna work you're you keep blowing it and i was like i was like give me a minute come on <laughs> give me a minute um and so finally, you know, after after 20 rehearsals, I, I managed to get it right. Um, but even still, when we were playing it live, it's it's like one of those things, like it's all slid notes with my left hand. And like just when you're sweaty and you're, the lights are on you and all of a sudden you're just like, oh, my God, I freaking overshot that fret. And now I'm playing sharp. Like all this kind of stuff goes against you playing it right. But it was one of those things where I'm just like, this song needs to have that part in oh, it. Oh, it, it makes the song. Absolutely. To feel like that yeah. song, this has to be in it. <laughs> And so I was like, I'm, I'm doing this thing. I'm doing it. I'm going to get it. So, um, so that, that was one of those instances where I was just like, it is worth it to me to have an Evo with us for this tour to play that one song. Right. Cause that's the only time I use the Evo during the set is for iodine. Um, but I was like, I, I want to play this song and I want to play it the way that I want it to sound. A, f- a friend of mine who uh, plays in a band and used Evo quite a bit likened it to, the end of Star Wars, where Luke uh, destroys the Death Star. It's like you got to yeah. get it exactly right, or That's it doesn't right. work at all. <laughs> yes, you had to be right in the groove. And meanwhile, there's freaking Tie Fighters shooting. You're at shooting you, from you the entire time. Vader's yeah. on your tail. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, so getting back to the, the early statement with with you know picking the set list and, and picking what's going to be on there and, and conducting it as an impartial overview, it's kind of interesting that. Uh, there that some of the some of the lyrics and some of the songs have sort of taken on new life with the uh, current situations being what they are and uh you know which obviously it's 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 a bummer it's a drag we don't need to belabor the point but i i thought i thought it was i was thinking that myself you know, i actually appreciated that you called it out on stage and and sort of drew attention to it because it it's i mean it's kind of eerie in a way like with breathe especially is is like what i'm what i'm thinking of but it's not like you guys were necessarily you know the clash or something and it's specifically calling out like you know sandinistas or things along those lines but there's definitely there was a a very distinct political element to certain aspects of what you did that i don't know history doesn't repeat itself but sometimes it rhymes you know yeah well i think that there is a certain approach that we took towards writing lyrics in the 90s that was 
it, we, we worked at cross purposes for, from ourselves. Because on the one hand, we were just like, the best pop songs are like, I love you, baby. It's a crying shame the way you run around like we're in a big game, right? Like, that's a, a great lyric, Devo, right? Stuff like that, that's super direct. And we were just like, I want to write, we want to write direct songs. It's like, just like, I love you, man. That's like, if that's what I feel, I want to write that as a lyric, and that's the song. But then the other side of us is like, oh, but that's so ham-fisted. So let's make it really abstract. And so everything became kind of a game of metaphor, kind of a game of, of like telling a story sideways. Right. And so, and so I think that's what happened with Static in many ways. Like Jay wanted to write this song about his sister, but I think he felt uncomfortable being as direct about what he felt about the situation. So he, he made it a little bit more obtuse. And... I think that as we've matured as, as humans and as songwriters and grown in confidence, like it's okay to say, I love you, baby. It's a cry and shame the way you run around like you're in a big game. Like that's that I want to write more songs like that. And that's what my new band is all about. My new band is about very direct stuff, but in Jawbox, we wrote a lot of in abstractions. And so breathe was for me, cause I wrote the lyrics to that. Um, it was kind of about, the presidency in general and i was thinking about jfk and clinton actually when i wrote that because i was i was i was thinking very cynically about the the institution of the presidency um and 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 so like to come at it from the perspective of god even our heroes even even the, the the people that i politically agree with can can let me down was what motivated a lot of the lyric writing in that song and so I wrote it in a, an abstract way about about the presidency and about the institution of of putting your faith in somebody to lead you who ultimately is going to to disgrace you, right? Um, or disgrace him or herself, right? And so little did I know that like if it's going to get a writing, million times writing, worse. <laughs> yeah, in writing about the institution and my cynicism about the institution, I was I was I, I won't say I was presaging or predicting that we would end up in this situation but it's kind of like the situation we were in then is really not very different from the situation we're in now with regards to a country placing its faith in an essentially frail human to provide you guidance leadership and wisdom right and who has, who has and, flaws and is a human yeah. being like anybody else and we're experiencing that to the nth degree at this point yeah. because we we knowingly elected. I say we with pejorative uh, we some quotes around it. <laughs> yeah, we elected somebody who, um, who 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 is disgracing the office more than anything or anybody we ever could have imagined in the in the past. But but I think the the point the point of my long winded story here is that I think when you write in abstractions the way that we did or write in metaphors the way that we did, you lend yourself to a certain timelessness that you don't get when you write a song like Sandinista, you know? Yeah. Like the clash, the clash was writing about Sandinista. It was a moment in the eighties that they were writing about. Um, it doesn't make it, doesn't mean it's not timeless and great music. It just means it dates itself almost immediately. Right. There's because almost, it's so specific, right? The timeliness gives it almost like a, a purposeful ephemeral uh, quality that, yeah, uh, th there's something to be said for that. And, and, yeah. You know, I, I grew up, I grew up loving that music. I grew course, up loving yeah. music that was about Reagan, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> right, exactly. like all the hardcore I listened to in 1985 was like, it was Reagan music, you know? And yeah. I was like, screw Reagan, right? And, and that, that does date it in many ways. But, 
the bands that I go back to now as an adult tend to be the ones who are writing more about institutions and concepts and ideas than they were writing about specific political moments or cultural moments. Absolutely. You know, as great as, you know, and as, and as formative of a band as they were for me, like the dead Kennedys, especially it's like, wow, really Jerry Brown, huh? That seems yeah, horrible. Right. That's what we were, we were worried about Jerry Brown. <laughs> right. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and so it's it, it, and it is interesting. I've talked to other folks I've had on the show about how the these these times are sort of almost forced forced political stances by artists like that maybe you wouldn't necessarily want to be as direct about what their political beliefs and what their worldview is, but it, it's it's almost an enforced radicalization just based on the environment. Like it's sort of like you're pushed onto a side if you don't define like what like what the side is, which is just this weird thing that called. Well, it's not. I mean, it's not weird. It's been there's been an active plan for that uh, by certain parties because it makes money and it advances power. And you know, I think it's very that's a that's a very different show to <laughs> to get yeah, into right. that. Yeah. But I mean, do you find that? And where I'm going with this is do you find that there there are people that maybe don't necessarily agree with with your worldview that are coming to the Jawbox shows uh, that are bummed out by this? If they did, they kept their mouth shut. All right. Um, well. You know, my, my only gauge is audience reaction, which mm-hmm. all I got, I, I didn't get any booze whenever I made any of my political statements. Right. Or J, or, J or, or Kim make, made political statements to the microphone. Like, nobody said, like, boo! We, we like Trump, you know, like I didn't hear any of that. <laughs> Nobody came up to me after the set to say, hey, I really love your show, except for when you said mean things about President Trump. And then social media, right? Because like we, we people were posting videos of us performing or photos yeah. or whatever. And I would read the comments and nobody was saying, yeah, it was a totally cool show, except that they're, they're you know, their liberal agenda was really off-putting. <laughs> You know, right? The, you you weren't uh, doing the uh, the the music section of the Breitbart message boards to uh, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> to, yeah, to get your feedback. So I think I think to a large degree we have a very self selecting audience that, that right, tends sure. to tends to look at the music that we made in the eighties or nineties and not and not go, well, they certainly have radicalized since the nineties. You know, like we were we were way out left then and we're still way out left now. So I don't think that anybody is like shocked that we took some kind of leftward turn that they weren't expecting, you know, in in a way that like in a way that millions of kid rock fans are totally disappointed at the rightward turn that he took. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's like you you just weren't paying that much close attention, huh? Okay. (laughs) Uh, Sidebar. I'm I'm, this is and this is talk about being dating a recording and being purposely ephemeral. I, I absolutely love the uh, dragging that Kid Rock is getting from the Taylor Swift fans on Twitter right now. It's it's oh it's, my God. it's a wonderful thing to behold. It is. That's dullard. Man, that guy. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, why don't you why don't you find another why don't you find another uh, Leonard Skinner song to rap over? I know. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, but I mean it, it but it is something and, and I do bring it up because you know something that this is going to sound weird, but something I was really proud of you on is when you, when the whole Kavanaugh dominations were happening and, and you spoke up about it, not in the fact that, you know, people talk about, you know, the, uh, was it slobs versus snobs (laughs) kind of like eighties mindset of like, Oh, it's the, these are the villains that are like the, the ass whole total, you know, jerk 
misogynist uh, dicks that are, are the obvious villains. And it's like, oh, no, like, these are, like, real people with names, and they're apparently yeah. being <laughs> nominated for the Supreme Court. And the yeah, fact that apparently. you personalize that in a way that, for a lot of folks like us and for the listeners of the show, was real. I mean, really... I, honestly, I feel pretty brave, but really, just kind of right on. Like it, it was, it was. I, I can't imagine that was an easy decision to speak out about that. Well, for me, it wasn't actually as hard as as many people imagined it to be. I think that there are a lot of guys that I went to high school with who still have very close ties to the community of of either their fellow graduates or you know they're in business together or they go to the same country club or stuff like that like that that is not my scene at all like i i still have a few friends from high school that i'm in, in close contact with but um it is not my social scene to go to chevy chase country club and try to make a deal with somebody on the golf course <laughs> right. and for a lot of people in my high school that is their reality and so for them to speak out would be really putting their professional interests and their families and blah, blah, blah at risk. And so I can, I can appreciate and understand that, you know, sometimes it's just easier to stay quiet and let somebody else do the work. Um, and I, I don't mean that with any kind of, no, 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 it's, I, it's, I, I wish <laughs> I, I do wish that more of my peers had, had spoken out, but whatever it's that, that, that was their choice. Um, so, so there was that, cabal and then there's also some friends 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 i have that that work in the federal government so right. it was it's bad for somebody who works at the department of justice to speak out against the uh, uh, nomination of a supreme court justice yes. it's like <laughs> that is generally considered frowned upon that, that will get you on the news rules. in a bad way yeah. yes <laughs> but but i found myself i was like you know what do, what do i have to lose here um my 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 wife was concerned about it she's like are you putting a target on your back you know because i live yeah. in a, we live in a crazy political pol- politicized environment right now like i don't know if you remember pizzagate um i i do and and but yeah so pizzagate went down at a at a pizza restaurant here in dc called comet pizza comet ping pong and i was already and, familiar with comet before that ever yeah. happened which made it equally like, like even more like what <laughs> yeah so for 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 the edification of your listeners some guy drove up from North Carolina with a gun and walked into Comet Ping Pong because he was convinced in the conspiracy theory that there were child child pornography slaves being held in the basement of this, this pizza parlor in D.C., and he started shooting the joint up. He didn't hurt anybody, but he did shoot, discharge a firearm in a pizza parlor. That's where Foxhall Stacks, my other band, played its very first show. Nice. So, so like, we were already on pins and needles about just, like, playing a Foxhall Stacks show at Comet Ping Pong because we were just like... It was on the day of Trump's inauguration, so it was the weekend of January seventeenth, twenty seventeen. Right. Yeah, and we were playing, you know, effectively what amounted to a counter inaugural party. Um, the Westboro Baptist Church showed up to protest out front, but nobody with guns showed up, mercifully. But that's the kind of thing, like that can happen these days, right? Yeah. You could open your mouth to say, "I don't like this president," "I don't like this policy," "I don't like this Supreme Court justice nomination," and next thing you know, some dude is doxing you. Or showing up at your house, yeah, with or like showing up at your kid's school, right? Yeah. So it's a legitimate concern to be worried about these things, particularly with regards to a Supreme Court nomination, which, to my mind, is in many ways even more important than like a presidential nomination because yeah. Supreme Court justice like for life, it's for life. And when we're talking about the kinds of decisions that could be made on the Supreme Court, i.e., overturning Roe v. Wade, there are a lot of very long-held and deeply held passions about that issue. So 
was I worried that Opus Dei, a radical Catholic sect, was going to show up at my house and, and try to, to off me because I was speaking out against their boy? I don't think so. I thought it was a total long shot that that would happen, but could it happen? I guess so, right? Like, it's a very different world that we live in now in terms of, of the findability of people who who are willing to speak out. So, right. so there, there was concern about doing it, but... I, I, I it sounds super corny, but I felt it was like a civic duty. I was like, yeah. look, I know a thing or two about this. <laughs> I know a thing or two about it. I have I have a, a a lifestyle that is not entirely dependent upon my connections to this community. I can say something, and if what I say is meaningful to anybody, then that that's the way that's the way this country is supposed to work, right? If you've got you've got knowledge and you've got a voice, use it. Yeah, and, and I mean, like I said, I not that I necessarily have your right to, but I was very proud of you for doing that. And you know, a lot a lot of us were just that was a very nice moment to see you have that sense of civic duty and speak up that way because I I felt like there just wasn't any of that happening for for whatever reason. Well, or, thanks. I think not, you know, if and, and and this is not to to cast aspersions on anybody who doesn't speak up. But no, no, of course not. Like, of course not. To be to be if you're going to say you're punk rock then like do something punk rock and that to me exactly and to me that's the difference between punk rock as a musical genre versus punk rock as a culture right 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 <laughs> and I, you know it's I, I just felt like that was a, that was an incredible moment and you know it, it it didn't go our way but it's you know it's it's nice to know that you know, to, as much as we could, we 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 tried to turn it up, and and you were a part of that, and so I think that that's actually kind of wonderful. And again, as a guy with family, not to put too fine a point on it, but there's a lot of, I mean, how many shootings did we have last week, right? Based right. upon things right. that that our president said, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> so it's 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 crazy times that we live in, and you know it, whether. Again, maybe it was less risky for you to do it than, than other people, but I, you know, I, I just, I guess I'm just me publicly saying that I appreciate that, and I'm glad. Well, you thank did you. It. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think one of the things that J- that Jay and I said from the stage and and almost all the shows was, like, not not everybody has to be in the fight, right? Not everybody has to be a foot soldier for the revolution, but there are different things that we can all do to continue to keep alive right. the idea that this country does not need to be run by egotistical wealthy white male maniacs and whether that's starting a band or whether it's starting a zine or whether it's just engaging with your your drunk racist uncle at the dinner table <laughs> like you there's all kinds of stuff we can do right write a freaking check to Planned Parenthood like I don't care what it is it's like there's easy things and there's hard things but there's things and and we just wanted to to use the platform that we had to encourage people not to lose hope and to realize that like you know everybody's got a voice in some capacity and if that voice is is sending five dollars to the Southern Poverty Law Center then great go do it yeah no completely agreed and yeah yeah I, I and I want to talk about Fox All Stacks and it seems kind of flippant to go back to talking about set list choices now after, <laughs> after that. But, <laughs> you know, I think it all ties together and I, I appreciate that, you know, it, it seems like you've, you've effectively melded that uh, that stuff together in a way that is sort of like a unified worldview that, that you're coming at. 
this from and i think that that's i don't know i speaking to someone that tries to do that myself like i think that's cool and sometimes it can be easy to feel like an aberration uh when, yeah, when yeah. you're specifically made to feel like an aberration by every part of culture designed to yeah. marginalize interests that <laughs> do not uh further the interest of the entrenched powers right but yeah one co- one come off that's a good drum beat that zach's got on that one huh that's <laughs> yes that's that's a mover that's a workout um so i i think it was it was something that we talked about earlier uh i noticed that and again i don't have as much frame of reference because I didn't see you way back when there was a lot of emphasis on vocals, especially, you know, which is really cool. Cause there was like a discordant, the discordant guitars, but you and Jay were doing some really great harmonies. And I don't know if that was always as prevalent or, you know, maybe, you know, if you didn't necessarily have like the, the best sound system to, to, to play with it on. But again, listening to the Fox all stack stuff, it's like, Oh man, like this is, this is strong harmony stuff. And for me, that's always something that kind of popped for Jawbox is that there was this good use of, of dissonance, melody, and harmony all at the same time, sometimes, uh, or in contrast to each other. And it occurred to me that that was something that I'd never really been able to articulate before, but seeing it live really kind of make it work. And, and I know that you're, you're a fan of that, of that kind of thing in music, uh, m- meaning like harmony vocals and things along those lines. We've discussed this before. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's really on display the Fox L Stack stuff, which which is definitely, uh, again, for, for me and for my ears, coming from a perspective of sweet or, um, you know, like the, the more power pop, less Chicago-y Sloan stuff, I think, as yeah. I said. And, yeah. you know, very, very celebratory, uh, big, kind of good-feeling, big harmony uh, rock music. And there was yeah. So, go ahead. So, no, I was say, so, so tell me more about that. Tell me about Fox All Sax came together. Uh, the tape sort of came out right around the same time as the Jawbox shows, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Well, yeah, we timed it that way. It was we we did it as a promotion for this tour because we knew that the Fox All Sax album wasn't going to come out until the fall, right? And that we couldn't we couldn't also play shows while Jawbox was playing shows. So we were just like, what can we do? to just try and get the word out. So let's let's put it this little single together, this two-song cassette together to bring on the road with Jawbox so that we can just, like, get people to start talking about it, you know? Well, you're, um, you and know you're going to get it in front of some of your natural audience by people yeah. being there to see your yeah, other band, yeah. right? Yeah, so it was, it, was kind of a, it was kind of a layup, to, to use a sports metaphor, um, to to want to have something at the merch table about the, the new record. Um, but the band came together mostly because Jim Spellman is an old friend. He was, he was actually the roadie on Jawbox's first tour before we even, before I was even in the band, the Rust Belt tour. Um, and he, uh, played drums in Velocity Girl and he was guitarist in High Back Chairs. Um, so, so Jim has been around for the DC scene for ages. Um, tremendous musician, tremendous songwriter, but he was playing, he had started to play unbeknownst to me with Pete Moffat on drums and Brian Baker on bass as a three piece, um, called French Horror. And Jim was singing, and he called me up one day. He said, "Hey, Bill, it's been a long time. I got your number from Adam Wade. 
um, want to be the lead singer in my band? I was like, literally had not talked to Jim in 20 plus years. <laughs> and he's like, want to be the lead singer in my band? Cheeky ass. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? And I talked to my wife about it, and she is a big supporter of me doing music, um, even though it comes at great expense to her, just in terms of my time and sure, my attention sure, being yeah. focused on music, which is a big consuming hobby. Um, but she was like, you've been wanting to play. So this is before the Jawbox tour came together. This was several years ago. Um, and she's like, you've been wanting to play music again. It's like, burn the hand, dude. Just like stop, stop second guessing yourself and just go do it. But I was frankly intimidated because I've been in a band with Pete Moffat before. Burning Airlines was Pete, Jay, and me. I, I was um, just about to bring that up. So, yes. And so I know how tremendous a player Pete is. Um, I'd never been in a band with Jim before, but we were friends. And I was like, Jim and Pete, I can handle, but Brian Baker's a guitar god. I mean, like, this guy's a rock star. He's going he's gonna to want to be in a band with me. Like, I'm barely a backing vocalist, let alone a lead vocalist. And my guitar playing is totally out of, you know, like, I'm way out of practice. I gave myself a million reasons to say no, but my wife was just like, just shut up and do it. So I shut <laughs> up, and I did it. And and that's that's how the band came to be as a four-piece. We just we got together, and... I realized from from the material that Jim was showing me, he was writing you know much more power pop type stuff, and I was like, oh my god, I've got a dozen of dem- dozens of demos of stuff like this on my computer that I never really had an outlet for. I never could figure out what to do with these songs. They weren't Jawbox songs. They weren't they weren't you know like scronky weird discordant stuff. They were just like pure like rock songs. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god, I could totally bring these songs to Foxwell Stacks, and so. Um, long story not so short but not quite as long we um i i rolled out several of my songs taught them to the band jim rolled out a few more of his and we found ourselves in the studio and next thing we knew we had uh a 10 song lp which is coming out later this year and then we recorded we recorded 14 so we had the four leftovers that we're going to release this ep probably in early 2020 yeah that's awesome and it has a very um it has a very unique voice too it's something where it's it definitely seems like it's, you know, if it wasn't planned to come out fully formed, like from the head of Zeus, <laughs> definitely, right. definitely ended up that way. Well, great. I'm glad to hear that because it, it, it felt it felt a little bit like it felt like we were winging it to a certain extent. But it was different. The writing approach was very different in that um, in Jawbox and burning airlines to an extent too it was very collaborative songwriting like there was a lot of like intentional musical argument going on right with how we would compose songs but in foxhall stacks like i pretty i show up with a song and we may tinker with a little bit here and there but we we play it we play the song and we go like is that a good song and if we go like yeah this doesn't really sound like us then we throw it away and like it, it writing writing songs more in a pop rock vein um, in a in a power pop, you know, like traditional rock song vein, makes you feel much more comfortable saying, you know what, I can totally come up with another one of those this afternoon. No big deal if it doesn't work out. And so it was really easy to let go of some of my songs. That I was like, oh, this is totally Foxhall Sax songs. And then we would play it, and I'd just be like, you know what, that sucks. And we throw it away and we move on. Whereas in Jawbox, I got really attached to my ideas. I was like, oh, we have to wrestle this into a song. And so we would like play it 18 different ways over six months before we decided to throw it out. In Foxwell Sacks, we were just like, nah, not going to work. Throw it out. Right. It's almost like I've, I've heard it described as, you know, looking at songs like museum pieces rather than like a river <laughs> necessarily. <right>? Yeah. <laughs> we yeah, just have yeah. a different way of looking at it. Well, I was always really jealous of bands like Guided by Voices. 
um, which I think is an extreme example. The most extreme, like, yes. <laughs> because they were just like, hey, man, I got an idea. Look, it's a song. Hey, dude, it's only 43 seconds long. Who cares? Or like Next. the Minutemen. The Minutemen is another example. Right? right. The Minutemen were enormously prolific, and I love the Minutemen to, the, to, to my dying day. But they were just like, you know what? Guess what? Some crap songs are going to come out when we do 84 songs on an LP. <laughs> right? right? But big deal. They were just like, we don't care because we've got so many of them. We're so full of ideas. We've got so much to say. It doesn't matter if a couple of these are clunkers because we can just keep firing them off and not arguing about everything. And like there'll be Pink something Floyd, else. You know? If you don't like it, there'll be something else coming up soon anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right? It's like and, – and that kind of, of – abandon that kind of recklessness i always thought was really admirable but but my my tension my 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 personal approach is always like i've got to be like pink floyd you know i've got i'm going to write a three song lp and side two is going to be one multi-part suite <laughs> you know it's like right, it's just right. like you get you get you get super nerdy about these it's things like slow you can down really yes like, we get it <laughs> you can, you can su- yeah you can suck all the life out of a song by by arguing with it too much yeah and and foxhall sax was an effort for me to just like be a little bit more freewheeling in my writing there's an immediate vibe to it it definitely feels like you know uh, like it, it's oh this is this is just boom you're like right in it immediately and in the kind of way that you know i feel like the best songs of that nature you know it's not outside the realm of possibility just oh play that one again <laughs> you, yeah. you know which which is great right. and 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 it's some songs you want the reaction to be oh i'm gonna have to think about that for a while that was that was intense and some songs like oh no that's awesome let's fire that up let's go yeah a lot of jawbox stuff is, is slow burn and i think that makes it very durable and it makes people very committed to it yeah. um yeah I, I mean i i'm joking about pink floyd but i like pink floyd Oh, but course, you don't yeah. listen to you don't listen to dark side of the moon the very first time you've ever heard it and just go like I want to hum along with everything on this record. You got to, it, it takes a while to sink in, you know, like yeah. really pain, like you really start pulling it apart. And then you put your headphones on and you're just like, Oh my God, what's happening here. And I think that for a lot of people, not to compare us to Pink Floyd, but I think Jawbox is that kind of band, but then there's a band like the Buzzcocks yep. where it's like, you hear, you hear a Buzzcocks single. And you're just like, Oh my God, I love this. Like you immediately just like, yep, that's a Buzzcocks song. I love it. And, and I think Foxhall Stacks wanted to be more like, you know, the Buzzcocks or the Sweet or, or even like the Replacements. And then it was just like a very, like, here's a song. Boop. You know, it's like, I'm handing it to you. This is my gift to you. I hope you like it. It's got a chorus. It's got a guitar solo. It's got hooks. And away we go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it, it, it's, it, it seems like, you know, there's a, there's a vitality to it that seems like it would be very easy to just... You, you you wouldn't like run out of ideas <laughs> with that either too like you know, you wouldn't have to like be like oh well what's the concept for this one it's like oh the concept is like we're you know we're there'll there'll be like you know a, a cool chorus here maybe we'll do a harmony part <laughs> like yeah it, it yeah. seems like it's like a lower barrier of entry maybe than grinding out over, over a matter of months to like well if you're doing it is, that discordant thing and, here i'm gonna do this yeah right and now. that ma- it made it very satisfying to write and i think that music that is satisfying to write is a lot of a lot of times for people very satisfying to listen to you know this is a it this is a it, it, the foxhall sax record is in many ways like a meat and potatoes record it's just like this is delicious look at this delicious <laughs> repast place before me 
as opposed to, you know, like I'm sitting down for Asian noodles that has an eyeball in it. Hmm. I wonder what that would taste <laughs> like, you know? Where, I wonder right? where, where that came from. You know, from. it's yeah. like, it's, 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 I, I won't say that it's like children's music because it's, it's still got, you know, it's got a lot of loud guitars and it's got, got some stuff going on. But I think that it's in many ways, it's like a, it's a much easier, easier to digest than, um, quote unquote, high art. And, that I, th- I that feels it feels very satisfying to write and to play songs like that. Right, and it's not like you know it, it may not be for the noise rock purists necessarily. Yeah, it's and not. That's okay. I think there are, that's fine. I think there's a lot of Jawbox fans who are going to kind of scratch their heads about a Fox All Stacks record. They're just gonna be like, hmm, this sounds a little bit too easy. There must be something more. <laughs> um, but you know, in a lot of cases, this this just like it's not. It's it's, it's different. It's 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 a relief and a release um, compared to a lot of the the more aggressive complex stuff that i've been you know writing for 30 years so and it's interesting that well and of course because pete's involvement you're getting burning airlines which is something i did want to talk about because uh, i did see burning airlines i saw burning airlines um on the, with the on the tour with i think dismemberment plan um and it it felt to me like i and i think that first burning airlines record is great like it's it's it had it has thank a, you because it brought a lot of the things I liked about Jawbox, but it had a quicker sort of immediacy to it. And it's sort of, I, I believe at the time, I may have actually used The Clash as an example, uh, but not necessarily for sound, but more just for feel. Like it had that, I mean, it's a, it's a power trio kind of post-punk band. Yeah. A- and uh, it had a different energy. A- and that was something where... You know, we've talked about, especially with Jawbox, that like sometimes it's like the guitars were like fighting or something. Like the the, yeah, the, yeah. the interplay between the guitars was such a huge part of that band, or is such a huge part of that band. I don't even know what tense to use. But with Burning Airlines, you're on bass, so yeah, and and you're playing with Pete, which who's obviously awesome. But how was when you were writing songs for that band and and getting that band spun up to? To be a band, what was what was the feel like that? Because obviously Jay is still Jay. He's not necessarily yeah yeah playing exactly the same, but it's it's still he's still Jay. He plays the way Jay plays. Uh, I mean, did you find that you had that shorthand, that lexicon, in the same way of playing with him at first, or was it just did it feel bizarre? Where you're like, <laughs> was it like playing with oven mitts on? I mean, what's <laughs> well, you're 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 taxing my memory banks because it was a long time ago, a while ago, yeah, seven, I guess that that um, we came together. But I, I'm P&J, only bringing it P&J up specifically because I feel like these kinds of questions, if these kinds of questions were asked at the time, I certainly didn't yeah. see them, and I'm it may be a delayed reaction, but I'm going to get my answer. <laughs> All right, I will I will give you an answer. So Pete and Jay started started Burning Airlines um, performing together before i joined and this was during the latter era of jawbox i think we were like on the on on some kind of jawbox hiatus while we were figuring out what our next move was and then he and pete started getting together and jamming and then i don't even remember how i got invited to show up to the party i was like i I love playing bass here i'll play bass and i think that we didn't we didn't necessarily sit down and come out with a plan for what the band was going to be like but again with those like musical conversations we realized that creating some space would have been a nice relief yeah. for Jay and me because in Jawbox density was a huge part of, of how we wrote, like especially the, the, the arguments between the guitars was intentional in Jawbox and it created a lot of sonic density. Right. And so I think that burning airlines, we almost 
had a, an intuitive reaction against that by saying, hey, we have an opportunity now that we're back to a one guitar band to be much more like, I, I mean, we, Pete and I had an active conversation about drum and bass music at the time because we were just like, those kinds of shuffling, shuffling, intense, rhythmic drum and bass type beats created, ironically, a whole lot of space for melodic stuff to happen. Like we're listening to like Fotex stuff at the time, oh, wow. going okay. like, "This is this is like this is really cool." Like, what if we, um, you know, um, um, "Flood of Foreign Capital" is basically a drum and bass beat. I don't know if you you remember that song yeah, yeah. from the first Burning Airlines record, but it's like a very fast shuffle pattern that P yeah. pay, P plays. And I was like, "What if we just like laid down like a quasi dub style bass part on top of this fast drum and bass beat bit, and just let the rest of the song be like." vocals and space well and it's interesting because in a way that's almost applying sort of a minuteman style philosophy yeah yeah without sounding totally. like the minuteman necessarily but just th that same idea concept yeah yeah okay so bill thanks so much for for doing this for spending time with, with on the show it's, it's been great talking to you i know we had some difficulties wrangling schedules and everything along those lines so it really means a lot to me that uh that you that you did the show I just wanted to, to again reiterate that how great the Jawbox shows were. Can we expect to see that there's going to be more, or is that going to be that's a wrap? Well, we've got uh, we're playing Fest down in Gainesville, Florida uh, oh, right. in November. Florida. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, you know we're we're currently seeing what uh, 2020 might hold for us. Okay, cool. And then the the Fox All Stacks tape is available. Uh, at, at your at your finer Bandcamp, I know for sure. I know there. Well, yeah, <laughs> you can download places. the download the two song single from Bandcamp. Um, I'm actually shipping the remaining cassettes that we had left over from the tour back to our label, Snappy Little Numbers, in Denver, and he's going to be putting them up on his website um, probably within the next week or so. And then we've got an LP coming out in the fall. Awesome. And then, then the last thing that I, I tend to ask people when I when I have them on as uh, sort of a generalized question is, uh, why do you do what you do? because <laughs> i don't know how to do anything else <laughs> love it thanks so much bill hey thanks it was really a pleasure all right take care man all right see you coming there he goes mr bill barbo let's hear some of that fox all stack stuff and then we'll, uh, we'll hear some job box we'll start off with breathe all the more relevant
Okay, so that was Breathe by Jawbox, followed by Turntable Exiles and Law of Averages by Foxhall Stacks, which is Bill's new band that you can get, foxhallstacks.bandcamp.com, and you can get that uh, on your local internets. And then after that, we had Burning Airlines, Wheaton Calling which is a total jam off the first record. And, of course, closing it off with everything, we had the timeless, nigh-perfect song, Savory, which everyone knows and everyone loves. And if for some bizarre reason you're listening to this and do not know that song, hey, that's for you. All right, so there you go. That is uh, Bill Barbeau, an impartial overview. <laughs> See, let's call back. All right, so if you are curious about what's going on with Jawbox, there is a social media, they're on Instagram, they're on uh, Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. Are there going to be more shows? I don't know. We'll see. There's also a, uh, a website, sort of a catch-all for everything. Jawbox.band, B-A-N-D. Yep. What a time to be alive. As mentioned, Foxhall Stacks. Go to foxhallstacks.bandcamp.com. Get copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. I think it's a Fleet, that's a Fleetwood Mac reference, I think? Who knows? Should have asked him. Name of the show is Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. It airs Thursdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Mountain, 5 p.m. Pacific on RadioNote.com. All archives at RadioNeutron.com. Podcasted wherever you find your local podcast. Mr. and Mrs. America, all the ships at sea. Bill's on Twitter and all those things. So if you're interested in seeing what he's up to, go find him. Bill Barbell. That's his name. Don't wear it out. (laughs) I've got... If you like the show... 50,000 watts of power. Operate it on iTunes or wherever you get your normal podcasts. Most people find it. It's a pain, but it helps. If you don't, keep it to yourself. Uh, all right. This microphone That's it. turns sound into electricity. Till next time. Can you hear me now? Catch you later. Out on Route 128, dark and lonely. You got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
if there's no one there to receive. It's the end of radio. As we come to the close of our broadcast day, Emergency! 